good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. Uh, if you listen to Tuesday's episode, uh, first of all, thank you. But that show was about the lockdown and how it's went on way too long for no good reason. And I really did not intend for that to be a two-parter, but in the last couple of days, I've been thinking about the show quite a bit and realized, shoot, I should have brought up this topic and I, I meant to say this and forgot all about it. And also the CDC had a press release on Tuesday that I really think is germane to the subject. So we're going to dive back into this topic. It's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but there are some things I want to go over in regards to the lockdown. Uh, First and foremost, I need to correct something that I mislabeled in the last show. If you'll remember, I was speaking about the L.A. County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl and how she has a quote saying that she believes that outdoor dining is the most dangerous thing you can do. And then she voted to close down outdoor dining in L.A. County. And then immediately, and when I say immediately, I literally mean she left the meeting and went to dinner. But that's actually not hypocrisy. Um, If you look again at what she said, she thinks that outdoor dining is the most dangerous thing that you can do. She did not say it was the most dangerous thing that we can do. You should not do that, not her. So it's not actually hypocrisy when she went out to eat, because she obviously does not think that the rules that she makes apply to her. Those rules are for the peasants that serve underneath her, and she is above such petty little things as laws and appearing to be a conscientious leader. All those things don't matter. It's dangerous for you to go out to eat, not her. And while we're on the subject of outdoor dining in L.A. County, there is a lawsuit to put an end to the ban on outdoor dining. I believe it is the L.A. County Restaurants Association that brought the lawsuit. I could be wrong about that. But they were arguing that there is no scientific data that says outdoor dining poses any sort of a health risk. The judge that is overseeing the case actually told the L.A. City Council that they had two weeks to gather up their documentation as to why they felt it was necessary to shut down outdoor dining in L.A. County. Two weeks later, they did not bother to provide any information to the judge. Most likely, it's because that they did not have any data showing that there is any sort of a health risk to outdoor dining. Now, someone that's involved in this case on behalf of the L.A. County government I don't know if it's a councilman or another elected official or an appointee. It may even been one of the lawyers for L.A. County that's handling this case, said that it was never about outdoor dining being dangerous. It was about keeping people at home. That might be one of the most egregiously boneheaded statements I've ever heard anyone say. I could not find the quote on the Internet, so I don't know who said it, uh, but If you can find it, please send it to me because I would love to have it. But that is getting very dangerously close to admitting that it's not about the safety of the population. It's about the control of the population, which honestly, I believe is 99.9% of why this lockdown has went on as long as it has. Do you remember when this was being sold to us? Two weeks to flatten the curve, 14 days to flatten the curve. That's what they were saying at first. 
It was supposed to slow the spread and give everybody a little time to regroup and let hospitals get reorganized. Over time, it morphed into something a little different. After about a month, it started to become, we have to stay in lockdown until nobody is getting sick at all. Well, that was never what the lockdown was supposed to be, and actually that is an impossibility. A quarantine, even a total lockdown like a lot of communities went into, studies have shown that that does not reduce the number of infections. It slows it down a little bit, but you're still going to have the same amount of people roughly getting the disease. And anybody that's familiar with mathematics knows that when you flatten a curve, you elongate the curve. All the numerical values stay pretty much the same. You just redistribute how they appear on the graph. And if we honestly approach this lockdown from the sense that as long as anybody is getting this disease, we have to keep going, that is an insanity. And it's something that we're never going to reach the finish line on. We may never see a year where a few people don't get COVID-19. I mean, hell, the the bubonic plague still exists. I think there was like 20 cases in Utah here recently. So it just strikes me as a little suspicious when an impossibility is the benchmark for ending the lockdown. People get sick and people die. That is simply part of life. Maybe someday we will reach a point where we have eradicated all diseases. That is science fiction right now. Something you've got to remember is that a lot of the fear that came about from this disease is because of the shocking death tolls that we were seeing in nursing homes. But let's take a look at what we know about COVID-19 now. It very strongly affects people that have medical conditions. It very strongly affects the elderly. And the highest instances of transmission come from being in an enclosed area with an infected person. Nursing homes are basically a tailor-made environment for this disease to run rampant. If you're in a nursing home, it's because your condition has deteriorated to the point that you need 24-hour medical assistance. So you have got buildings that are full of elderly people that are very, very sick to begin with. All of those places have central air conditioning, so one person with the COVID-19 virus breathing in and out, the air that they are breathing and the germs that they are breathing out, that is going to get circulated through the entire building within the hour. It was basically a perfect storm for this disease to just lay waste to these nursing homes. Those are the numbers that scared the hell out of everybody to begin with. We didn't know why that was happening. We thought that could happen on playgrounds and schools, offices, anywhere. Turns out that's not the case. Again, when you don't know, it's okay to do something stupid because you're trying to figure things out. But you need to back up and apply a little logic once you do have some information. And that's something that we're simply not doing. I spoke last week about we're still disinfecting everything. They're wiping everything down with Lysol and Clorox. And we're doing all this despite the fact that we now know you do not get this disease from touching surfaces. And again, it's it's just theater. It's just to make people feel better. And I've got a good example of theater of safety from my own personal experience, 
me and my wife traveled to the Smokies the spring after 9-11, and we went to Dollywood. Now, I carry a little pocket knife. It's it, I'm sure you've seen them in the store. It's a little Swiss Army knife. They're like 10 bucks. It's got a little nail file on it, a pair of scissors. It's got a little pair of tweezers and a toothpick in it, and it's got a very small knife blade. It's about two inches long, and the blade width is about four millimeters. If I showed you this knife, I could show this knife to a thousand people. Nobody would describe this tiny little pocket knife as a weapon. It is a very small, utilitarian little pocket knife. But it was post 9-11. Everyone was worried about security. So they're searching our backpack. We always carry a backpack with us with drinks and stuff in it. And they ask if we have any weapons or anything. And I said, well, I've got a little pocket knife. I showed it to the guy. And I stood there for about 10 minutes discussing this knife with this guy. He was wanting me to take it back to my car. He was not going to let me into the park with this tidy little pocket knife. Eventually, he relented. I have no idea what I said that convinced him that I wasn't going to try to take over the park with this tiny little knife. But eventually he let me into the park. Now, one of the first things we did, I was hungry and I was craving a corn dog. So we went to a stand that I knew sold corn dogs. Now they do not sell normal corn dogs at this stand. They're all foot long corn dogs. So me and my wife sit down and we share this corn dog. And after we get done eating, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I had a hell of a time getting through the front gate with a two-inch pocket knife, but they sold me a corn dog that was on a sharpened stake about two foot long that I could literally kill an elk with. So at that point, you have to ask the question, are they concerned about safety or are they trying to make people feel better by appearing to be concerned about safety? I would argue that that doesn't really help anybody. You know, another unspoken danger of disinfecting everything and hiding in our homes is that your immune system needs to be exposed to pathogens in order to be able to fight anything off. And if we live in this little insulated bubble that's just has Lysol dripping down the walls and there's no microbes anywhere, your immune system is going to get weaker and weaker. And it's actually going to increase the chances that you're going to catch something and become very ill. You can't worry so much about every little virus. Your body evolved to fight things off from the environment. Every lungful of air you take in will have on average about 10,000 living microorganisms in it. Germs are all around you. Your body is full of bacteria. Some of them you actually need to survive, but everybody is so worried about germs. I took my kids down and we met my parents about halfway between our houses. The kids were going to go spend a week with them. We happened to meet at a McDonald's, which of course meant that we had to get the kids something to eat while we were there. We were standing out in the parking lot talking to my parents and my daughter handed me a couple of French fries. And I was a, as I was taking them from her, one of them fell on the ground. Well, I bent over and I picked up the French fry and I ate it. Everybody that was watching me was just aghast that it is, well, except for my daughter. She thought it was funny. But I was thinking, all right, that French fry just hit the pavement. It didn't land in an oil slick where somebody had parked and their car was leaking. It did not land on a chunk of bird poop. It was on clean blacktop in the middle of summer. 
And I'm thinking, you know, the chances of anything dangerous getting on that French fry are literally zero. And I guarantee you that that little square of blacktop that's been sunblasted in the summer heat every day for a week, that will have fewer germs on it than the counter inside where they're serving the food. You can't worry about germs. Your body needs to come into contact with this stuff. It's not going to make you sick. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make your body better equipped to deal with foreign entities that get into your system. That's simply how your immune system works. It's sort of like antibacterial soap. You know, they're saying that you shouldn't use that anymore. And I actually want to go on a little bit of a tangent here. I have had a beef with antibacterial soap for the last quarter of a century. And that is simply because antibacterial soap is not anything different from regular soap. They just charge you more money. Now, like I say, I have been telling people that for 25 years. Nobody wanted to hear it. I don't know why people became so married to the idea of antibacterial soap, but let me lay some facts out for you. Antibacterial soap on the box, it says that that soap with hot water will kill or remove 99.9% of the microbes that are on your skin. Now, regular soap, if you use that with hot water, will kill or remove 99.9% of the microbes on your hands. Where is the difference? The only difference between soap and antibacterial soap is antibacterial soap, they would add some different fragrances and make the soap a little bit different color, and then they would charge you $1.50 because they printed antibacterial on the box. Now, that's not false advertising because soap, just as it exists, is antibacterial. It is a detergent. Now, we hear that a lot. What the word detergent means is it changes the turgid pressure in the water. Basically, it breaks down the bonds between the water molecules and makes it, for better, lack of a better term, it makes water wetter. But what happens to a bacteria when it gets introduced to that, the cell wall of the bacteria loses its ability, its, its structural integrity, basically. Basically, what that means is if you put soapy water on to a bacterium, there's a good chance that its cell wall will just rupture and it kills the microbe. Soap is antibacterial. And finally, after 25 years of me bitching about this to anybody that would stop and listen, we have experts saying that there is no benefit to using antibacterial soap. You should just use the regular soap. I feel like that hearing that news, people should come to me, give me a phone call, or even just stop by the house and apologize. I don't know why nobody has taken the time to do that yet. I guess they simply haven't gotten around to it. Okay, that's the end of my soap jag. All right, on to my last order of business for today. On Tuesday, the CDC sent out a press release saying that they were going to walk back the restrictions on wearing a mask if you've had the vaccine. The caveat to that is they're walking back the recommendations of wearing a mask outside. As we have discussed, there is, as near as makes no difference, zero chance of you getting this disease outside in the first place. Again, that study was 7,000 people. There were two instances that they reasonably think happened outside. 
Basically, if you want to catch this disease from someone outside, you have to stand right on top of them, speak for 30 or 45 minutes, and try to get the guy to sneeze on you once or twice while the conversation's going on. If you do all those things, you might get the disease. You probably won't, but you might. So my question over the masks and the vaccine is, does the vaccine work? Or does the vaccine not work? Because if the vaccine works, I can't get the disease. And if I can't get the disease, I can't spread the disease. And if those two things are true, then there's no reason for me to wear a mask. If I need to wear a mask after getting the vaccine, that means that the vaccine does not work. And why did I bother taking it? Just in the interest of fairness, I have had my first shot. I have not had my second shot. I go at the end of May for the second dose. Uh, No, I did not post on Facebook that I went and got the vaccine because I'm not trying to appear like I'm a hero for doing next to nothing. But does it work or does it not work? Because if the vaccine works after I get the second dose, I should not be required to wear a mask, period. The mask at that point is superfluous. If the vaccine doesn't work, then it's just more safety theater. They're just trying to make people feel better. And, you know, I went back and I did a little digging into the polio vaccine. Now, that became widely available in 1955, at least in the United States. That's when they really started pushing the immunization. But I did a little digging into news articles following the 1955 polio vaccine rollout. I could not find one single newspaper article that said, Once you get your vaccine, you've still got to be careful. This is still a very dangerous disease. You can still catch it. You've got to be careful. No, all the articles, they were just celebrating the fact that through science and innovation, we were able to defeat this horrible disease. That is what we should be doing with this vaccine. But strangely, it seems like the government and the media especially would rather us be afraid of this disease into perpetuity than admit that because of the new techniques in developing vaccines, we were able to roll this thing out really quickly and we're on the downslope and everything's going to be fine. I also kind of think that possibly it has to do with the fact that when Trump was in office, he said that we would have a vaccine by the end of the year and all the Experts in the media immediately started jumping up and down and saying that there's no possible way we were going to have a vaccine that quickly. He's crazy. It's not going to happen. There's no way. And I believe the vaccine was starting to become available in December, which is the end of the year. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I'm so sick of the people that are always screaming, follow the science, follow the science, completely ignore the science. You can't get this outdoors. If the vaccine works, you don't need a mask. I don't understand what the end game is in pushing people to stay in their home, masked up. And Fauci came out about a month ago and said that two masks were more effective than one mask. Of course it is. You're a doctor. You really think that we need a doctor to tell us that if one mask helps, two masks will help a little bit more. That's just common sense. You're adding an extra layer that whatever droplets the virus are writing in has to get through. You know what would be more effective than two masks? Three masks. 
you know what would be even more effective than that? Three masks and one of those Lexan face shields that the dental hygienist uses when she's cleaning your teeth. You know what would be more effective than that? Three masks, the Lexan face shield, and then pull one of those cellophane garment bags you get from the dry cleaners, pull that down to your waist and tie it off. Of course, adding extra layers is going to help. That was the most nonsensical press conference. There was no reason to have that. I don't know what the logic was behind having him trot out in front of a microphone and say that. But again, the people that are always screaming, follow the science, never seem to pay any mind to what the science actually says. And that's actually a pretty good segue into next week's episode, in which we're going to take a look at global warming, which is something that I have some very, very strong opinions about. Um, Now, I'm not a climate change denier. That's not where I'm going with this. Uh, But I urge you just to listen, consider the information I'm going to offer you next week, because there is a lot of scientific fact regarding this particular topic that gets misrepresented, misused, or just out and out buried. But I hope you tune in for that one because it is something I'm very passionate about, and I believe I've got some information that will probably surprise you. Uh, But as far as today's topic, that's really about all I've got. Uh, Thank you for tuning in again. Sorry to be retreading information, but like I say, there were a lot of points that I wanted to go over that did not make it into the first episode, and I did want to get that out there. Or If nothing else, it makes me feel better ranting about it into a microphone. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, as always, if you would like to leave me a comment, send me an email at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. All right, guys, have a good weekend. I hope you have good weather and enjoy yourselves, and I will talk to you again on Tuesday. Thank you very much, guys. Bye.